0: This is a case from the Shoyoroku. Shizu's not understanding. The introduction. A precious gem hits a magpie. A rat bites into a piece of gold. They do not know these are jewels and cannot put them to use. The true worth is unrecognized and its use is unknown. Is there someone who suddenly notices the jewel hidden in the clothes? The main case. Attention! Shizu asked Master Nansen. A man doesn't know the wish-fulfilling money jewel. It is obtained intimately in the Tatagata storehouse. What is this storehouse? Nansen said, It is the give and take of you and me. Shizu said, What about no give and take? Nansen said, That's also the storehouse. And Shizu asked, what about the jewel? Nansen called his name. Shizu! Shizu answered, Yes, Master. Then Nansen said, Leave! You do not understand what I am saying. The verse. Separating right and wrong, illuminating gain and loss. Responding to this in one's heart. Pointing to this in one's palms. Give and take and no give and take are both the storehouse. King O awarded it for those who had competence. Emperor Co obtained it for Moshe. Turning the hub, utilizing one's abilities. We, clear eyed students must not be negligent. So as I was thinking about this koan, working with it, Thought of our Jukai study, right? as most of you know, is a period in which students engage in intimate contemplation of the precepts, working on deepening the understanding of each precept, trying to embody each of the precepts in our lives moment by moment day by day maybe inquiring if we do actually embody so it's a period of discernment before the actual Jukai ceremony before taking the vows And in this study, the last of the 16 precepts we work on deals with the meaning of not defiling the three treasures. And being the Buddha, Dharma and Sangha. And the word defile is not commonly used in our language. But it simply means to not tarnish, spoil, degrade or debase. Or in other words, to keep it pure but what does it mean to keep it pure what does it mean to tarnish does it get tarnished does it become pure is that the is that really depends on us on how we act the itness the oneness the purity how do we understand this precept how, we understand, how do we understand I will not defile or degrade the Buddha just that just the first one do we think it has anything to do with Cherishing the memory of Shakyamuni, who lived in India 2,500 years ago and is known as our original teacher. Does it have anything to do with keeping a statue on the altar dusted and clean? You can be devoted to getting to know all you can about the life of Shakyamuni. Have great reverence for his contribution to human beings and be totally engaged in defiling the Buddha you can keep a perfectly immaculate altar memorize all the sutras maybe develop great chanting abilities yet still lead a life that degrades Buddhahood to be a practitioner requires a lot more than doing what was done than going through the motions actually requires all we've got is that how you practice I mentioned a long time ago there is no such thing as part-time practice. So to understand the true meaning of not defiling the Buddha we need to have some recognition of a body-mind. The mind of awakening. If we don't have that then how do we know what it is that we are working on keeping pure how can we know that we are defiling it we could be staring at it smack in the face yet not recognizing we could be drinking it yet still feeling thirsty as we chant in the Sandokai When you do not see the way, you do not see it even as you walk on it. And when you do not see the way, of course, you will defile. Without even knowing. You're doing it. So in Jukai study and in practice in general, our work is to become aware to examine our thoughts, our words, our actions from a perspective of unity, from a perspective of Buddhahood and ask ask the question not the question if, but when do I defile? how do I defile? because we do do because we don't know how precious it is, and how intimate it is, and how close it is. And this is where the introduction to this case begins. It says, a precious gem hits a magpie, a rat bites into a piece of gold. Then They do not know these are jewels, and so cannot put them to use because the true worth is unrecognized and its use is unknown unrecognized and unknown how would a magpie react when hit by a precious stone would a rat find gold palatable when biting into it when the truth is not recognized to be the truth it is actually perceived as false and gets rejected. The beginning of practice, when a student first encounters different aspects of Zen, Zen tradition, all seems foreign, different. The chanting, the bowing, Zazen, Kinhin, all the etiquette we have to follow. And of course, the koan, We can't study. We feel at the beginning that all this is a language we do not even know how to listen to, let alone speak. But then, then, if we choose to stick around for a while, not run away, not run away in the face of discomfort, in the face of the unknown. So if we do stick around, if we take the time, and dedicate ourselves to the practice, we begin to recognize that, in fact, this language is our native tongue. To stick around, right? To, at all circumstances, no matter what, we keep the practice alive. We make it a priority. Or it fades away. And then the introduction ends with a question Is there someone who suddenly notices the jewel hidden in their clothes? This is referring to a parable from the Lotus Sutra, which you may have heard before. <clears throat> One day a man was drinking with his friend and became quite drunk. That night, his friend had to leave on an urgent matter for a place far away. Knowing that his drunken companion did not have any money, he sewed the precious jewel into the man, other man's coat and left while the guy was still asleep when the guy woke up next morning he discovered that his friend was gone but was completely unaware of the jewel in his coat so he roamed around as a beggar for quite a while and at some point at some point his friend returned And they ran into each other. They started to chat. And and upon being told that the friend actually sewn a jewel into his coat, he finally realized that he had that treasure all along. All along he was actually rich, but acted as if poor. So the story says that he exchanged the jewel for money and became... A rich person and live like a rich person so the drunk person is of course us right? consuming the liquor of dualism walking around in a deluded state of being and the good friend who appears for the sake of showing us how rich we are is spiritual guide a teacher a friend with a nature in some form or some manifestation and the precious jewel is the seed of Buddhahood or as we often refer to our true nature and when we go through life feeling destitute and insufficient. We experience a constant underlying sense of lack. Not enough, not yet, not me, not now. How could I? And also a perpetual hunger for something or someone that will fill that void, that will be the missing link, the missing piece, To complete my life. Whether it's money, assets, achievements, or person. As long as we don't intimately, again intimately, realize our own true nature, our own true richness, none of it will satisfy. And we know that. That's why we're here. Because we know. Leading a life that's based on the sense of insufficiency, anxiety, defensiveness, anger and fear, envy, anger and fear, all naturally show up. All naturally become constant companions on our journey. Along with the thirst that never gets quenched but on the other hand when you do realize the infinite richness within you do realize you recognize that everything and everyone is equally endowed with it then of course generosity takes the place of stinginess sense of deep trust quells the fear. Loving kindness replaces animosity. And, maybe above all, patience diffuses anger. Maybe anger is the most dominant emotion we encounter. because our anxiety our discontent disconnectedness all show up as the, in the form of, an, of anger we are unhappy unhappy about what? never is about not having enough because even when we have it's still not enough. But how do we get there? Where is this? Where can we find this infinite richness? I hear that I have it. I hear that I am it. Yet, yet how often do I feel complete. How often do I feel at ease, at peace? In this koan, Shizu confronts his teacher, Nansen, and says, a man doesn't know the wish-fulfilling money. Not money, is money. It's M-A-N-I. The wish-fulfilling money, Jewel, it is obtained intimately in the Tathagata's storehouse. What is this storehouse? Where is it? Good question. The question, maybe. The nonsense, as you may remember, is Dalmayer to the great master Matsu, Baso, and the teacher of Joshua. This is one of the greatest lineages during a period known as the golden age of Zen around 9th century, China so maybe we should pay close attention to this exchange and learn something learn something from the nagging question that we all share all have shared all will share and also from the way it is handled The wish-fulfilling jewel Shizu is speaking about is also called the Chintamani stone, known in Buddhist and Hindu traditions as a gem that, when obtained, will fulfill all one's wishes. Now this is not referring to fulfilling all the wishes of a self-concerned, made-up entity that feeds off constant wanting. It is a gem that it's mere recognition is the fulfillment of all wishes. Just the recognition. And with that recognition, all delusive elusive desires simply melt away. In fact, the real reason we get stuck in craving for stuff that never satisfies us is the yearning for this precious jewel. We know. But again, the way we go about searching for it is turning away from it, is rejecting it. That's another way to say that we yearn to recognize who we truly are not to study what they meant, what kind of jewel it is, where is it, where do I dig for it. It's really about you. So we we yearn to recognize who we are and then of course to manifest it throughout our lives. And that's the gem that was sewn into the drunken man's jacket liner who finally realized He was never actually poor. Jesus says that the jewel is obtained intimately in the Tathagata's storehouse. Then he asked his teacher, what is this storehouse? In another translation, this appears as the Tathagata's Tathagatagarbha which is the womb of the Buddha the womb of the Buddha Lankavatara Sutra calls this womb the mind of realization and then the commentary goes on to breaking this down to having three meanings that's the mind of realization the womb of the Buddha first the meaning of concealment because it covers and hides away Buddhahood. Second meaning the meaning of containing because it contains the land of all sentient beings. And the third the meaning of producing because it produces practices for humans and divine paths without becoming tainted by cause and effect. Without becoming tainted without becoming defiled by what happens by karma by whether or not we get it now the first one first meaning refers to Buddhahood as a hidden potential before it is realized and the third one refers to the way Buddhahood manifests in the world after realization which is actualizing the fundamental point And the second meaning refers only to the essence of Buddhahood. Only to the essence. And what's most important to recognize in this description is that in before, after, and essence, the mind of realization or the womb of the Buddha always maintains its purity. It doesn't change from before to and after it is constant so where can it be found how do I tap into it so Nansen says yeah it is in the give and take of you and I Where are you looking? And the footnote says in front of the teaching hall behind the Buddha shrine Is that what we're looking? Where can it be found? It is in the sound of your voice. It is in pulling up a chair to sit down and have a meal with a friend. It is in the bitter cold winter and the scorching heat of the summer. It is in the first cry of a newborn, the last gasp of of air before death. It is in the coming and going of everyday life your everyday life of what you most likely take for granted and write it off as uneventful and reject it's not there why? because it doesn't feel good it's not there why? because it feels really good and I'm afraid to lose it Where is it? What is it? What is it? Buddha Nature is inherent in all sights, all sounds, all forms. But, as we chanted earlier this morning, sights vary in quality and form. Sounds as pleasing or harsh. That's why we get stuck, because we differentiate. Is it wrong to differentiate? And then we chant that the dark makes all words one. The brightness distinguishes good and bad phrases. Everyday life, everyday affairs, you and I, Then we chant that the four elements return to their nature as a child turns to its mother. Fire is hot, wind moves, water is wet, earth hot, Eyes see. ears, hear, no smell, tongue's taste. Each is independent of the other, like leaves that come from the same root. Right? All come out of the same source and return to it not come out and will return to it later the coming out is the returning itself think about the responsibility of this realization maybe that's why we don't wanna, we want to put it off I'll realize later because realization comes with great responsibility often to keep your mouth shut You open it, you defile. You defile the undefiled, yet you live a defiled life. You can live a defiled life throughout your entire life. Live and die this way, yet it will remain pure. What a shame, isn't it? What a shame to live right in the midst of incredible beauty and yet be so self-centered, so self-concerned. that we let it go right by. It is absolutely incredible. Oh, I, I talk to my kids sometimes and they end up complaining. And complaining. I, just, I tell them, just stop and look. Look at all the beauty around you. Look, open your eyes. What are you talking about? And it's a shame. Because moments pass away. And so do we. What do we choose to do? Engage in perpetual anger. about what we're here for such for such a short period of time and this is what we want to do ask yourself that question is that what I want to do maybe the answer is yes then Jesus says (coughs) Okay, what about no give and take? Nonsense says, that's also the storehouse. And the footnote says, one living made twice. One living made twice. Is it in what I see? Is it in what I don't see? Is it in what is heard or what is not heard? What Nansen is saying is that it is in what is heard and what is not heard, in what is seen and what is not seen. He's saying that distinctions should not be distinguished. Distinctions should not be distinguished and separated because in essence they are not. When you recognize the silence in the sound life becomes more manageable and you actually don't feel the urge to leave everyday life behind everyday challenges and escape to the mountains run away from it all when you, when you perceive the sound as an expression of silence and the form as an expression of formlessness then you realize true richness and then of course give to others without a shred of stinginess and attachment give it all give your time give your energy Give without stinginess. Right? Anger and stinginess. How common? Then Shizu goes on to ask what about the jewel itself? What about the jewel? Nansen calls out his name Shizu! Yes, ma'am. And then he says, leave! You do not understand what I'm talking about. Go away. Is he rejecting his student? Is he giving up on him? Or, or maybe he's guiding him to directly, directly, intimately, See for himself. Enough talk. Actually says that Shizu had deep realization at that point. At some point we have to stop walking around in circles. At some point we have to take on the responsibility to eat our own food. At some point, we have to stop relying on someone else's realization. And it begins and ends with the responsibility to sit daily. To sit daily. were away was it last week or a week before i forget a week before that right and uh of course i woke up every morning early before everybody woke up and i sat and uh, i was talking to somebody after that and he said he was wondering if i actually took a break from sitting he thought i would and I ask, well, take a break from what? You know, to, to take a break means if I, if I want to take a break from sitting, it means that I see sitting as a chore, as a burden. But if I see sitting as a burden, I see myself as a burden, as a chore. I want a break from me, because what is sitting? What is Zazen? It's an opportunity to actually look between in between and see the storehouse. See the womb of Buddhahood. Recognize. And then Act from there. See that you are everything you need. You are what you are looking for. Why would you want to break from that? Because of the addiction. Because we are drunk on the liquor of dualism. Because anger serves a purpose. Anger actually keeps us often in that state. Not that we, of course everybody experiences anger. But to identify with anger, to be the anger, whole different story. any emotion, right? to experience it and then put it to work. Or let it go. Let it pass on. It will. It does. I look back at 5, 10, 20 years ago or a week ago. Maybe you were pissed off about something. Really pissed off. I look back and say, like, well, that was nothing. Why, would, why did I get so worked up over this? And the answer is the addiction. Because I need it. It's a drug. The self is a drug. Zazen is healing. So is it a burden? Is it a chore? Examine. See how you practice. Ask yourself. No, i got to sit again because I gave my word too. No, you don't have to sit. In fact, you better not have to sit. You better choose to sit. Now this precious jewel is always available. And ready to be accessed at any given moment but whether or not you tap into it has to do with the way you meet what happens moment by moment and it has to begin with a decision to roll all experiences into your practice which means that when we encounter a person or a situation the most important question you need to ask is how do I practice this not why it's happening why it's happening to me that doesn't matter well who are you if you think that what happens is reducing you then you have no clue that you have a jewel in in the liner of your jacket and you walk around as if a beggar destitute why me after all this time, after all this work, I deserve more. You are. Not more or less. You are. Everything. Yeah, but. There you go. So there's only one single question. How do I practice this? And that changes everything. I was talking to somebody about that and I mentioned that and she said she she was quiet for a while and then she said oh that's what is meant by the ten directions are all open at once yeah exactly because when you ask that question at that moment all ten directions are wide open but when you go to the question why me all ten directions are shut. You remember, wisdom is like a, the two sides. Wisdom is like a cool, clear pool of water. You can enter it from any direction. And wisdom is like a mass of fire. You cannot enter it from any side. Nagarjuna. That's exactly what that is. Not why me. Not why now. Not any other question because any other question will send you right back to the perpetual to the habitual to the way of being self-concern the verse says separating right and wrong illuminating gain and loss And that's, Buddha nature functions freely in the world of differentiation. It illuminates on the spot. Yeah, of course. There is up and down, right and left, in and out, you and I. And yet, and yet, as Dogen says, going one mile east is going one mile west. So why, what are you worried about? What are you afraid to lose? What do you want to gain? And he says, responding to this in one's heart, pointing to this in one's palms. When you respond to a situation from an intimate recognition, you see it as if in the palm of your hand, and it's available all the time it's clear profoundly clear not known in the way we want to know but clear it says give and take and no give and take are both the storehouse King O rewarded it for those who had competence. This is from a story of a king who rewarded his accomplished soldiers in the same way we are rewarded with realization for being diligent and disciplined in the practice. Maybe reward is not the right word but expand it a little bit. And then it says Emperor Ko obtained it from Moshe. Now, this is based on a story of Emperor Ko, who lost a precious gem while walking along the bank of a river. Then he sent the best and most talented people to look for it, but none of them could find it. Finally, he sent a blind man named Mosho, who found the gem and returned it to the emperor. Blind man. Not talented. Not skilled. Without experience. Now Zen describes different kinds of blindness. There is the blindness of ignorant people. And the evil blindness of heretics. The third is the true blindness of an awakened Zen student. Right? And the worldly eyes are blind here. The worldly eye. So the third eye open. But yet it's not there. Next one is the blindness of those who make a big deal of their realization. So you may open up the eye and then we'll go right back to sleep. Maybe a deeper sleep. And then the fifth one is the transcendent and genuine blindness of the Buddha. This happens when one outgrows true blindness and achieves full maturity in Zen development. So, the point point this verse is trying to, to show us is that it doesn't take what we think. It's not something to accumulate. It's not something that depends on how skilled we are. You can make a lot of money yet Know nothing about dealing with the most important, the most fundamental question of life. Be filthy rich, yet be completely trapped. But to be poor is to be rich. To be poor, yet to be rich in spirit. That's the blind person who brought back the jewel. And it says, turning the hub, utilizing one's abilities, we, clear-eyed students, must not be negligent. Always comes down to that, doesn't it? We must not be negligent. So we should finish it with the last line of the Sandokai. I respectfully say to those who wish to be enlightened, do not waste your time by night or day.